All right, sorry about that. Good morning, and welcome to our midweek service. And we uh, started last week talking from the angle of deceptive addictions, and we're going to get back into that. Uh, we, just real quick, we can, uh, let's go to Ephesians 4.22, Ephesians 4.22, and we'll jump into it, and, and I'll give this this, uh, this, I don't know if I want to call it a disclaimer, but as we talked about last week, uh, before you uh, shut your mind off because we're talking about addictions or we're talking about um, different uh, vices or lusts or whatever that, that we may be battling through, um, just listen to all the information and then make a choice from there and realize the reason why it has to be discussed as we were talking about Sunday when we were talking about sound effects is because it's what we're processing through. And the Lord was showing me how really as much as some people run from the, the, the topic of the conversation, it's amazing how we run for what we need help with. That's what's so amazing. Like you actually know you need help and you're running from what you need help with. And then sometimes you look at God and you say, well, Lord, why... You know, why am I going through this? Well, Lord says, well, I send you help. You know, we, we, we can use the old adage, well, I send you a boat, I send you a plane, you know, I send you a helicopter, I send you help. And so God has given us, you know, he loves us enough to give us things that help, that's going to help us through a lot of what we battle through. You know, we battle through a lot, you know, and God wants to help us through some of the things we battle through. And in our Christian walk, in our Christian walk, there are things that we battle through that are, I'm going to say, overt, and there's some things that are covert that we battle through. And But the things that really have a, a challenging effect on our lives are the things that are covert. You know what I mean? Like, because they're not obvious, they're not in people's face, people can't, don't see them, so they normally don't give you a prescription for them. But God looks, looks at our, our entire lives and he looks at the things we go through, and he offers us assistance uh, to defeat, defeat anything that's coming at us. And this is the other thing uh, we all should realize. There is nothing that we're challenged with. There's nothing that we've slipped into that God is not, can't give us the ability to overcome. You know, we can disconnect just as well as we uh, connected ourselves to it. But, you know, in our, our natural mind always tells us, I'm stuck. You know, or, well, I've already blown it, or, or it's too late. And that's not really reality. Let's look here at Ephesians 4, just to open up what we talked about last week. So Ephesians 4:22 it says that you put off concerning the former conversations the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust the old man that old nature has been corrupted and we'll get to corruption here in a little while according to deceitful lust right according to deceitful lust and then um verse 23 says and be renewed in the spirit of your mind now, you know, of course, we know our scripture in Romans 12 talks about to be renewed um, 
be renewed in your mind. Well, this one goes a little deeper. It says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it's going deeper into our subconscious and our default. So we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. It says, look, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this old man uh, can easily be corrupt or has been corrupt according to deceitful lust. That's how the old man is operated, right? That new man, however, is actually operating in the true righteousness and the holiness of God, right? So that old dead life feeds off of victimization, hustle, pride, anxiety, and lust, as we talked about last week, right? Then we went to Galatians 5, and we read there where it said, this I say then, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Look, that you cannot do the things that you would. So again, that flesh is going to keep challenging that, that, that spirit man or that new man so you, with the intent for us not to be able to do the things that we know is best for our life that Romans 7 talks about, right? Things that I want to do, I find myself not doing, correct? I, then we went into, last week, we went into Galatians 5, 17 through 20, and I read it out of the message, so I'm going to read it again because I thought it really spoke to what we're trying to talk about here. So the message says this, uh, Galatians 5, 17 through 20. It says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. It says, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyous grabs for happiness. It says, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied want a brutal temper and an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, and the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. So this is the life of a person that leans more to the flesh than the spirit. You know, there's a lot of craziness and confusion that takes place when we're you know, when we don't, we don't know how to activate or to feed our spirit to make our spirit the life that we live by, when we just live by the flesh. If, if our first reaction is to do something to comfort our flesh as opposed to do what it takes to feed our spirit. And then let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8. So Romans 8, and we'll, we'll lock in at verse 5. Romans 8. We'll start at verse 5. It says this. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind, do mind the things of the flesh. Now, the word mind, one of the words in there is, is counseled by, right? It says, But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. It says, For to be carnally minded, that's fleshly, Minded, carnality, carnivorous, 
All that's fleshly. To be fleshly minded or fleshly counseled is death. But to be spiritually minded or spiritually counseled is life and, life and peace. This is because the carnal or the fleshly mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject. We've talked about that in spiritual authority, right? Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So when I'm in the flesh, I can't submit to anything. I can't be subject to the things of the spirit that's going to help me to live my life. I'm fighting against the very thing that's, uh, the very nature that's important to me, the very nature that's a benefit to me. So then they that are in the flesh, look, cannot please God. And so it's, it's, it's uh, we talked about the deceitful lust, and we're talking about deceptive addictions. What's so tough about it is you don't realize you're being deceived. And so, so we operate in a level of, one, one of the, the things of deception, actually me and my grandson was talking about overconfidence when we was driving in. And the thing about overconfidence is, one, you don't think it can happen to you. One, you don't think... Uh, 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 you need to help. You know what's even tougher about deception is you operate in a level of assessing everything as if you've arrived at a level of knowing all things. Like you got to ask yourself what what positions you to to establish your your level of judgment. No, I'm just when you think about it, think about it. Like if you're you're sitting in a, a position of like, especially the things of God, have you exhaustively, have you gone through, uh, we was going through it in, in the, the uh, what is it, Bible school. In Bible school, we were going through the, um, all the principles, right, of how to interpret the Bible. Have you gone through all the principles? Uh, we, were, we were going through the different models of, of context, exegesis, isis, have we gone through that? Now, if you haven't gone through it, you may say to yourself, well, that's not important. The way I read and the way I understand is actually what the Bible means. But you're cheating yourself. That's like going into a Spanish-speaking country with your English mindset and think you understand something, right? There's principles to understand the Bible, just like there's principles to understand English. And if you don't understand the principles, you could be misinterpreting a lot of Scripture, but living off of misinterpretation. And then if someone, if you're in pride, if someone gives you another interpretation, you're fighting against it because maybe tradition or religion has told you something different. But all you got to do is go, uh, uh, go deep enough to be open to find out the truth. You know, that's, you know, I did Bible study on a college campus. And with those kids, I told them, I said, I understand, you, you know, your parents have taught you stuff, your different churches taught you stuff, and we had all different religions on campus. And I said, so, so this is the, the stage of your life where you have to now take that stuff, research the scriptures, and see what actually is genuine and true and what stuff may not be, you know, because you were following along just as a young, uh, nothing wrong with you, but young, naive person that just pretty much was going by what you was told, but not really searching to find out for yourself. So, so as we're talking today, these scriptures that we just read on in Romans 8 and Galatians, it talks about the contrast of the lust, and, uh, the lust of the flesh and walking in the spirit. So what you're going to discover is when, you, when, when the adversary pulls you into what we call lust, lust steals moments for you, from you. Lust steals moments. It's a movie I watched, uh, Percy, Percy Jackson and the Lightning King, I think it is. Uh, and so, so I, I talked about the movie a lot because 
in the movie, they were, they, they were on this mission. I forgot what the mission was. Some of y'all may know. <laughs> but they was on the mission, and so they stopped off at this club. And so they're in the club, and they're dancing the party, and they kept giving them these, these lotus flowers. or whatever. I don't know what the lotus flowers were, but they was eating them. And so they're dancing. Now they're on a mission. And then uh, somehow or another, somebody recognized a certain time. And they said, well, what, what day is it? And when they found out what day it is, they thought minutes had gone by, but I think days had gone by. Right? And that's what lust does to you. It gets you stuck in moments. And, and before you know it, you know, time has, has gone by. Lust clouds you from reality. Uh, because what happens is it makes you emotional. When people in lust, they, they're more angry, they're snappy, uh, they're impatient. You, you can be trying to give them an understanding. <laughs> they're getting all worked up, but see, they've got, fell into lust, so their emotions speak first. They can't hear clearly, and they're very reactive, right? And so emotions cloud us from even hearing the truth that's trying to give us an adjustment or change. See, the adversary wants us overwhelmed when we find out the whole picture. You ever live life with people that just ignore the details? Well, they're ignoring the details because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. Just don't tell me. I don't want to know. Well, no, yes, you do want to know because those things that you're ignoring are the things that's causing the pain in your life, right? And the whole picture can be overwhelming if it's, if it's an interruption. If you find out later all the things that you forgot about or you ignored, well, that's what stresses you out, Right? Uh, me and my grandson was talking about uh, being proactive. I told him I knew they were coming in town. So I had to prepare to teach and prepare the lower thirds ahead of time, you know, because I knew we had to go pick them up Sunday, and then we got to take them back. So these are the days normally I make sure we get some things done around here. So I had to, two weeks in advance, prepare for, to teach on Sunday and Wednesday. But not just prepare to teach, but I had to prepare to make sure the people online have what they need. Right, so I couldn't make an excuse. Well, grandkids coming to town didn't have time to do it. No, I had to be proactive. I had to get out ahead of that because I'm always looking at the whole picture, not just looking at what's happening that particular day. Right, but lust will rob you from seeing the whole picture. See, lust is a possession robber. Lust is a possession robber. Lust is what we can call perverted love or twisted love, right? Lust we can call perverted love or twisted love. Love costs something, right? If you ever been in love, I'm in love with my lovely wife. Uh, you ever been in love, it costs, right? But on the other side of the cost of love, it equals fulfillment. You're fulfilled. Like I'm fulfilled in my marriage relationship of going on 20, 29 years here on the 21st, Right? But on the front end, there was a cost, right? So it was uncomfortable. I had to, we had to make adjustments. I'm from North New Jersey. She's from Columbus, Ohio. We had to make adjustments to navigate together. Like, we had to leave from being competitive to being in covenant. Because, you know, couples come together and they say they love each other, but every day is a competition. Each person is trying to one-up the other person. That's not a covenant. So, so I had to respect that the angles and the insight that she had May, even though they may have been different from me, I had to respect that God sent me someone that was going to see things different or feel things different from me. So I had to learn from that. But she had to respect the same thing. So we had to take our, our, our different views and merge them to have this laser so we could live this life. Every relationship is that way. But if people come in and just fighting, fighting to lean to their own understanding, that's normally just 
I'm looking for, I'm looking to find a chink in your armor. Every time you say something, you know, people do that with pastors. You know, I'm just, I'm waiting for them to mess up and say something just so I can prove uh, he don't know everything so I don't have to listen to nothing. You know, how do you grow in a relationship if you're just, you're trying to disprove God's authority? That wouldn't make no sense, right? People do it all the time, though, don't they? All right, so the love is different because it costs, but it equals fulfillment. Lust Lust is not about cost, it's about comforts, but it's comforts equals headaches. So love is about cost, but the cost equals fulfillment, right? Lust is about comforts, but normally the comforts of lust equal headaches and chaos, right? And so we want to walk in love, and the, the Bible says, uh, uh, Love is what ignites our faith in the first place, right? Right? So, you know, for us to live a faithful life and to believe God, to believe for things, to believe in the impossible, right? We, we need to operate in faith, but that faith is, is worked by love. It's a cost involved, right? That faith is not worked by lust, right? Faith needs love to be activated, not lust. So, so let's look at it from this angle. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, God has dealt to every man a measure of faith, right? And we know we can, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Because we have to believe for things that are not existing for them to, to exist. We have to believe in the impossible, right? Right? So that's going to take this measure of faith. But, but we already know that faith's on the inside of us. He's dealt to us a measure of faith. For that faith to come up, we need some word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? But we know for that faith to be activated, we need love, right? But if the adversary spends all our time trying to bait us into lust, does our faith get activated? No, the only thing that's activated is fear, right? You see what I'm saying? So, so what he's trying to do is keep us in lust so we don't believe nothing, <laughs> right? We're constantly worried, right? But we're in love, we're going to operate in faith, right? And so that's why, you know, lust is so deceptive because on the front end, it gives you a, a, a moment of pleasure, but it steals all the things you want in your life. It's cheating you. Whereas love on the front end, it seems like it's costing so much, but it actually gives you what you honestly want on the back end, and that's called fulfillment. All right, let's look at 2 Peter 1. Second, Second Peter chapter 1. And, 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 you know, lust is a, we're going to say a, a dream killer at every level. That's not from the young to the old. It's an even, it's an even playing field. From the, from the peach, preacher to the pew, the lust can contact, attack anybody. Man, most people have fallen through lust, right? Some great people. Was, have been crippled by lust. All right, so 2 Peter 1, verse 4. I start at verse 3 just for emphasis. It says, according to his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4 is what we're going to concentrate on. It says, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. 
right? On the other side of the colon, it says that by these, these exceeding great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of his divine nature, right? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we got to ask ourselves, have we escaped and we're walking in the divine nature or are we still trapped in lust? Right? Have we escaped or are we still trapped? Because this says these divine promises, by these will be partakers of his divine nature. Right? That's that new nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So corruption in the world is... Uh, one of the words for corruption is bribery. So the adversary is always trying to offer you a, a pleasurable moment at the expense of your lifetime fulfillment. The adversary is always offer, trying to offer you a pleasurable moment at the expense of your lifetime of fulfillment, right? And so it's bribery. It's exploitation. That's corruption. It's destruction. It's deceit. It's deceptive. The addictions are deceptive. I'm addicted to something that I think I need, but it's taken away from me all that I need. See, I, I'm addicted to something that I think I need, but it's taken away all that I need. It's like Superman around kryptonite, right? You know, you're losing your, your ability to have power to live this life, right? And see, also, so again, these, this corruption is facilitated through lust, right? And so the, the Scripture is saying it's hoping that we escape the urges, the cravings, the perversions, the wickedness, twistedness, impulses, hope that we're, hopefully we're resisting the impulses, the, the irresistible, supposedly irresistible temptations, we're resisting those, the thirst, the hunger, the appetites, all these things facilitate lust. You, you ever see uh, there's people that uh, stop drinking and take up smoking? Or vice versa, stop smoking, take up drinking. It's, just, it's all lust. The root is lust. So, so the deception is, I stopped drinking, <laughs> I need a cigarette. No, no, you're still feeding lust. It's all at the root of everything. Or, or sometimes people stop drinking, they take up eating. It's, you're still feeding lust, right? You still haven't killed the core or the root of it, right? Does that make sense? All right, so lust draws us away from our possessions. It draws us away from the things that God wants us to have. Because God has given us uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just read that, right? But lust tries to steal everything that's going to make us happy. All right, so let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 12. James chapter 1. Verse 12. All right, so it reads this. I'm going to read the King James Version. It says, blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Like, he resists them, right? It says, and then on the other side of the colon, it's breaking down that, right? It says, for when he is tried, the person that resists temptations, endures temptations, when he is tried or tested, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Right? 13. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. 
It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away, look, of his own lust and enticed. Look, it says, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Look, look, and, when, and, and, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So look, it starts out, it says, as lust. But lust is trying to birth something called sin. Sin is trying to birth something called death. So lust is drawing you away from everything that you, you really want, right? Takes you, what is it? Takes you further than you want to go, makes you pay more than you want to pay, and makes you stay longer than you want to stay. Takes you further than you want to go, makes you pay more than you want to pay, and makes you stay longer than you want to stay, right? It takes away your choice, right? So, so when there's lust, it leads us to sin. The result is weakness and blindness. When lust leads you into sin, the result is weakness and blindness. And so when I'm bound, that's why we call it deceptive addictions. When I'm bound, I'm so blind that everybody sees I'm bound but me. Everybody sees something is clouding me. Something is causing me to be defensive. Something's causing me to be irritable. Something's causing me to snap back. Something's causing me to be so stubborn I can't listen to nobody. Everybody's tripping. You ever see somebody bound in lust? Everybody's tripping. You know, the child is arguing with the parent. No, they don't care about me. They say no, because they're clouded. They can't even see. You know, because what? Any interruption to lust's comfort is a fight. But when you're walking in love, you can take the time to listen to the other perspective. Share your perspective and come to a point of understanding, a mutual agreement. But lust doesn't allow for harmony. Lust wants to be, it's all about self. I got to be right. I got to be comforted, right? Nobody can tell me nothing, right? And you got to ask yourself, when you're caught up in lust, why would people see you as credible? You're out of control. You're emotional. You're defensive. You're stubborn. You're never wrong, all right? And you're not open for understanding. You don't want to look harder because if you look harder, you may discover something that you haven't seen, right? So why would people see you as credible? See, people see credible people as people with intangible strength. It's not a strength you can see, but you know that person looks strong to you. They look solid to you. They look patient to you. But intangible strength only shows on the lust conquerors, not the lust captives. Listen, intangible strength, that's, that's strength you can't really, it's, it doesn't, person ain't lifting no weights, but when, when they walk around you, you something about you, you're attracted to their strength. This person is strong. This person, this is a winner, a victorious person in their life. But that person... That intangible strength is seen on the, uh, the lust conquerors, people that's conquered lust, not the lust captives. The lust captives don't show strength. They show weakness, right? Again, it's not seen on the lust conqueror. A lust captives is seen on the lust conquerors. Does that make sense? So you have to ask yourself, since you want to be credible in your job and your family, 
uh, amongst you, around your parents, around your friends, you want to be credible, ask yourself this, what have you done to master lust? What have you done to master? Because if you haven't mastered lust, then lust has mastered you. And if it's mastered you, I don't know why you're looking for credibility or why you're wondering why you're always in arguments. You're in arguments because you're clouded. Because you can't see. Because lust has blind you. But everybody sees you're blind but you. And the thing is, you can get so caught up in lust you think you should be credible for your, your, your exploits of yesteryear. You ever see somebody always talking about, it's like their whole life is what they've done, not what they're doing. They ain't doing nothing. And when you bring up that they're not doing nothing, they're going to bring up what they used to do because they ain't doing nothing now. They have nothing to give them value now. But, but you have to realize your exploits of, of yesterday aren't present to stimulate those in your presence today. Your exploits of yesterday aren't there to stimulate those in your presence today. What's going to stimulate those in your presence today are your exploits today. The things that you accomplished today. Right? You don't have to tell people you're successful. They're looking at it. You don't have to tell people you're victorious. They see the victory. But if you can keep, kind of, keep having to tell people stuff, you have to keep explaining people to understand. They can't see it for themselves. If you don't open your mouth, they can't see it. Is there something wrong with that? The only way people see your value is if with your mouth, not your actions. Isn't that off a little bit? No? You don't think so? I do. <laughs> right? All right, so, so, so let's do, uh, lust, lust steals our ability to rule in God's kingdom, to rule in God's kingdom. We're supposed to be kingdom children. The scripture says, all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, waiting for us as sons and daughters of God to get in our rightful place, right? To get in our position. Well, why aren't we in our position as rulers in God's kingdom? Because lust has weakened us. You can't rule if you're weak, right? I shared this the other day. The term in basketball, we used to always say to God, let's say so, let's say the guy's on the other team. And they're passing the guy the ball. So I'm playing against the guy. And I know the guy can't make a shot to save his life, right? So when they throw the ball to him, I don't even play defense. I go, oh, no, he with us. What I'm basically saying is he's going to keep missing shots so we can get the ball and score again, right? And every time they throw it to him, we all yell out, oh, he with us. He with us. He's on our team. Even though he's supposed to be on the other team, he's going to keep missing shots to give us an advantage. Well, the devil is saying that about a lot of, a lot of our lives. He's going, oh, no, no, he with us. Oh, he ain't lust. He with us. Oh, no, he talking bold. He with us. She with us. Don't worry about it. Hey, fellas, he's telling the other demons, chill out, man. No, no, no. They with us. Look inside. Look inside their spirit. There's lust all in there. They hanging out with us. Don't worry about them. No, no, they just talking. They, they just talk scriptures. They don't live them. <coughs> right? Is he saying that about you? I ain't hear no answer. She did, look, she didn't say, she said, hmm. What was that? Sorry about that, y'all. All right, so let's look at, uh, 
look at uh all right, all right, well, first Peter two nine, I'll just give it to you, but it says we're a chosen generation, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? Right? So we're supposed to be ruling in the kingdom, right? And so the adversary understands this, so he's trying to weaken us. And what he does is that's why he tempts us in lust, because lust will have you living in lies and too weak to live in the truth. Lust will have you living in lies and too weak to live in the truth. Living in lies and too weak to live in the truth. And so, so, so why is that, that, that important that I walk in the truth? Because I walk in the truth, I'm walking in the whole picture, the final reality. Now, they, they say the truth hurts, but also the truth frees us, right? And so, so if I can embrace the truth, even though it may be uncomfortable, even though I may, thought, I may think I'm right, but if I can embrace the part that I'm not considering. You know, one of the things we went through in the Bible school, uh, when we went through the context principles, let's say if I, I got an insight or a revelation that I've been taught for years, how does that line up with the entire Bible? How does it line up with the nature of God? Right? So some things, some things has you looking deeper because you go, that doesn't line up with God. But let's say if I don't know God, let's say I'm questioning God. Let's say I'm questioning God's flow. Then I'm going to take something that's isolated for an individual person, and I'm going to mask that out as a, a commandment or a principle, even though it never says it's a commandment or a principle. Rich young ruler. You notice Jesus didn't talk to everybody like he talked to the rich young ruler. He told the rich young ruler to sell all you had. But, you know, somebody will turn that into a commandment. To live for God, you got to sell all you had. But that's not what he, the Bible said. So, so we're not... Even though we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we don't believe that the Bible had case-by-case situations. We want to take the case and make it a universal principle. Right? So it's taking, but how do I know the difference? I know the difference in the context of how God is and the context of the whole Bible. How does it line up? You see what I'm saying? How does this line up? But I don't want to go that far because I want to justify my principle. Right? See, see this, we can't be that clouded. We got to embrace the truth. The truth is uncomfortable, but we got to embrace the truth. And we can embrace the truth. We can kind of advance and move forward in our life, right? Does that make sense? And, and lust will cloud us from the truth every time, right? Lust will cloud us from the truth every time. And, and what lust does, it has us considering the peace only, not the whole picture. Like, just we, so, so we only see, even when we look through the Bible, we just look at this one, we're stuck at this one piece. So we're, you got a whole Bible, we're just stuck at this one piece to justify our one position. But we don't want to look at the whole Bible as a whole, right? We got to look at the whole Bible. You know, that's, you know, when I'm, when I'm clear-minded or sound-minded, it's in consideration of the whole, the whole picture. How does this choice I make today line up with the whole picture? How does this line up with the whole Bible? How does this decision line up with everything else I'm going to do, right? Right? So, uh, we learned in the Bible school, uh, let me see, interpreting scriptures, the whole is in, the, the piece is in consideration of the whole, the whole is in consideration of the parts, right? So, the parts is in consideration of the whole. The parts have no value without the whole, the whole has no value without the parts, Right? So, so it keeps everything balanced. And that's, that's what lust cheats us from. It cheats us. It compartmentalizes everything. It has us focus in this one moment. That, that's how something can happen to you. And, it, and it's, some of these things are 
uh, devastating, but no matter how much we focus on them. Okay, so, so what benefit it is to focus on something devastating? If you, if you really think about it, I'm not being insensitive, I've gone through devastating things, but I realize, like, I could focus on it all day. What, what benefit is it? That, that is, I gain no advantage. Plan up. Now, the Scripture says forget the things that are behind you. That's not just Pastor Keith, but it's saying that for a reason because it knows there's no advantage of focusing on that moment, right? That, the Scripture calls it a light affliction but for a moment in time in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, right? It says so we got, we got to move forward. We can't carry around these moments or these little pieces and parts, but lust won't let you let it go. I can't believe they did that to me. I would have, I would have moved forward. I would have advanced in my life if that hadn't happened to me. It wasn't, they played me. I was talking to my, my, my grandson about, you know, just different little missed opportunities. But it is what it is, you know. You know, we were talking about basketball opportunities. You know, hey, I missed I miss the call. What am I going to do? Sit around crying? Not move forward in my life? You know, I could have been in the NBA if it wasn't for such and such. Man, please. Like, why go through all that? Keep moving forward with your life. If they didn't, they, they took all my money. They played me. They left me for somebody else. Well, then they couldn't value. Then go on to somebody that's more valuable. That's not me being insensitive. That's showing you lust will have you stuck and magnifying pain. How is that a benefit? See, lust stimulates our imagination and our sensuality, but it doesn't stimulate our spirituality. See, it gets caught up in our imagination that's housed in our mind. You know, that's how people start imagining lustful things and sensuality feeling, but it doesn't stimulate our spirituality. That's why you can't trust lust. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. That's our first voice. Remember we talked about... um, uh, Sexuality's voice, sexuality shouldn't be our first voice. Spirituality should be. So this is the thing. It stimulates our imagination, but it leaves us in, in the fantasy of our imagination. That's how we get stuck in time. You're, you're, it leaves you in the fantasy of your imagination. But it doesn't bring you into a living reality of fulfillment. So lust will leave you in fantasy and imagination. You ever see somebody fantasizing about a relationship that is never going to happen? That's not, that's not a put down, but you've seen it, right? So I didn't say no names, but like because lust has you stuck in this world, that's not reality. It can't happen. It ain't real. But, but it never, the spirit always pushes you towards reality and the truth. That's what truth means. The definition of truth is final reality. So, so, so the spirit man is, is always willing to take you to reality. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know I, was, I was talking to somebody, and they were like, well, you know what? This is actually my nephew. And so I was hitting him with some truth. And he said, you know what? To be honest, I, just, I, I needed to hear this. And uh, we, uh, we were, without getting specific, we were out looking for something. And so he thought he was at one position uh, to be able to get what he wanted. When he found out where he really was at, he was like, well, I thought I was here. He says, well, you know what? I needed to know. I needed to find out eventually. I needed to find out eventually where I really was. I felt I was at a certain place to do some things, but I really wasn't there. So, I, so, so eventually I would have had to find out, 
What I loved about him that day is he was like, hey, I'm a ha- I had to find out. And he embraced it. And on the heels of him embracing it, God supernaturally got him what he wanted anyway because of how he handled the truth. But if he would have stayed in fantasy, I guarantee you he wouldn't have got it. The truth is what frees you. But the adversary wants, that lust wants to keep you stuck in time, stuck in, in uh, fantasy, not reality. Like, like, like how many situations where you've sat around, if you're honest with yourself, if you look back, like you look back, let's say some situation surprised you or somebody ended up playing you. I use that, right? And you look back and you say, if you're honest, you say, well, they really didn't play me. I saw it. I just was in denial, right? I ain't going to get no amens because I know I'm t- people out there in TV land. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, like when you, you in hindsight, okay, I'll be nice, okay? In hindsight, you look back like, ah, I did see that. But I hit the, eh, no, that's not happening. Because I don't need it to happen because if it happens, it's going to hurt. Right? But in reality, you see it. Right? Thank, thank you for a couple of yups. I got a, a right back there. Okay? The rest of y'all trying to play me. Right? <laughs> right. So, so what I'm saying is like that lust will have you not embracing the reality and stuck in the fantasy. So you're, you're operating in a relationship the way you want it to be, not the way it really is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right, good. <laughs> so lust takes you further and further into fantasy and away from reality. Takes you further and further into fantasy and, re- and away from reality. Right? The, the scripture says in 2 Peter 2, uh, you can write this down, 14, 19, and 20. says, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. It says, uh, beguiling uh, unstable souls and heart. It says, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So this is saying you have people that, that they're, they're, they're not in reality. They're offering liberty and they live in corruption. You know, you, you have people that preach sometimes that way, you know. They're talking to you about being free and they're bound. You know what I'm saying? So, and this, this is saying how this happens is it says, it says once you're overcome, what overcomes you has you in bondage, whether you're accepting that or not, right? So it says what happens is they, they came to a knowledge of Christ, but then they, they got overconfident, fell back into, got entangled back into the very thing that they, they, they got delivered from, they got overcome. But this is what it says. It says the latter is worse than before. But, 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 in, but since they're not in reality, they're pretending they super saved. But they, they're actually bound. They're not embracing reality, right? Let's go to Matthew. Look, it says the latter is worse than before, right? But how many people have fell back into stuff that operates as if their latter is worse? They operate as if they're still walking on water. 
right? And the whole time they're bound and overcome because they're living in fantasy and not reality. All right, so let's look at Matthew 12. This explains why the latter is worse than before. So Matthew 12, and we're going to focus here on verse 43. Matthew 12, verse 43. Look, it says, it says uh, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man or woman, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. So, the un- so this unclean, let's say, lust spirit is kicked out. And it goes and tries to find another place of rest, but it can't find none because it was used to the house that it was in, right? It says, verse, verse 44, it says, then, then he saith, I will return into my house once I came out and when he is come. So he says, I'm going to go back to the place that I, that, that I used to occupy. It says, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. So he comes back to scout first. He says, then he... Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be also unto this wicked generation. So what he's saying is a person is, is, is filled with this spirit, right? We'll just for our conversation, we'll say this lust spirit. And so they come, they accept Jesus, or they get around the right people, and that spirit leaves. So, you know, they're, they're feeling all good. You know, I'm living for Jesus. But the spirit says, hey, I'm out. But, man, ain't nothing out here, man. Kind of, man I just, just got to go back to that house that I was used to. He's almost fiending. Like, you know, like, I got to go back to what I was used to, like I was, I was eating good in the house. So he goes back, he thinks, I just can't go back. He goes back and scouts and goes, okay, the place is empty, but I got kicked out the last time. So let me go get seven more demons, worse than me, so I don't get kicked out again. And we've shared this before here at the church. Why did he check the house first? Because if that person was filled with the Spirit, he can get 2,000 demons, it wouldn't work. But he saw the person just clean themselves up. They just accepted Jesus, but they didn't fill themselves with the Spirit. They didn't fill themselves with the things of God, right? So, so, so they're basically just an empty cup with nothing in them, waiting to be accessed by the Spirit, but, but instead they got reoccupied by that demonic spirit, Right? And the state of that man is worse than it was before. You see that? And that's why it's such a hard battle to navigate through lust because we can get overconfident just with the, the, the initial relief of it, right? And, and so, so as we continue to grow, we want to start to take on the reason why we read the Word, we walk in the Spirit, we listen to worship, we talked about sound on Sunday, we keep ourselves in an atmosphere that's spiritual because it helps us to learn to control our emotions and our craving. See, we don't realize if you are not controlling your emotions and your cravings, you're, you've been overcome. You just don't realize it. You, 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 
You've just come up with justifications and excuse in your fantasy world that you, you're being held captive. So we have to grow from being carnal-minded, being led by our flesh and our, our spirit, and to be spiritually minded, led, led by the spirit, right? And the scripture says the spirit is indeed willing what? But the flesh is weak, right? So, so we want to feed the willing, not the weak. We want to feed the willing, not the weak. That's why we was talking about when we talked about sexuality's voice, you have your flesh voice is sexuality, your mind's voice is sensuality, your spirit's voice is spirituality. So your spirits have the first voice in your life. You have to be led by the spirit. But if you don't feed the spirit, you know, we did the example when we had the chair and we had the, we had the spirit in the flesh, you know, you, you come into your life, you accept Jesus, now you have the spirit in your life, right? So the spirit is over here. It's in your life, and now you have the flesh in your life, so, so you get into a situation where you're tempted, right? So you get tempted, and you yield to the temptation. So now you, you're mad, and you sit, to, you sit your spirit down and your flesh down, but you're getting on the spirit. You're like, spirit, that's why I brought you in here, to keep me out of this mess. How did you let this happen? And the spirit goes, whoa, 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 back up, man. Hold on a second. Hey, let, let's wind back the week. You went to church Sunday. How long was you in church? Okay, you was in church for two hours. How long was you paying attention? Okay, 15 minutes. So we have 15 minutes of spirit stuff, right? The rest of the week, you listen to the music you want to. When you're at the mall watching all them women, that was you, right? That was you, right? Hold on, no, no, you get on me, answer me. Okay, that was you. You watch what you want. You watch the shows you want. You listen to the music you want. The, the flesh is getting fed all week. When you got into that situation, I, listen, I tried to grab the flesh. Bam, the flesh knocked me in my head. Listen, it's malnutrition here. Feed me, and I'll keep you out of trouble. But you can't feed me 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, or maybe even two hours a week, and the flesh is getting fed all week. And then when lust comes, that's flesh food. So sexuality had the first voice. Sensuality is stupid enough to follow him. Spirituality can't get no, like, hey, 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 I'm talking, but ain't nobody listening because you don't feed me. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so we got to get to a place where our spirit has the first voice, right? Not our flesh. Flesh is what? Going to get us in trouble. Because why? It's going it's to lead us to lust. Lust going to lead us to sin. Sin's going to lead us to what? Death, Right? See, this, this, like, okay, so these cravings that we have to learn to control. So our brain actually generates a sensation of craving, right, only in order to signal an, an identified pleasure opportunity. So craving is not you have to do it. It's a, it you, so a sensation goes to your brain. That says, hey, there's a pleasure opportunity. I don't know if it's a donut, uh, porn. I don't know. You pick drinking. I don't know what it is. But it's saying it's opportunity. But you still, it did, that's, that doesn't control your choice. You do. Like, you cannot eat the donut, right? Right? <laughs> what are we doing here, right? <laughs> That's how a lot of people are thinking too, Kalina. Right. <laughs> right. What did what somebody say to me? Well, I had to eat it. 
No, no, it wasn't it go to waste. It was like, how could I turn that? What'd you say? <laughs> how could I turn that down? But it was almost like it was offered and it's good. Are you kidding me? There's no way I could turn that down. Yes, it is, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have to pay attention to the craving just to be mindful of it. And we have to, we turn off the cravings by not acting on it. You turn off the craving by not acting on it. You turn off the craving by not acting on it, right? So, so and then sometimes you have to shut down that signal. So the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting out all imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought, the sensuality, and the captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Right? So, so it can come up with it want to. It can come up with it want to. I'm rejecting that thought. I can't do it. And so when you start to shut out things in your life, you know, you know as I started to grow, I had to shut out things that, that, were, that was crippling me. Right? And so, so when you start to shut out things in your life, let's, let's look at it this way. Which is, oh, this is good. You know what you decide? You, say, you decide to love yourself, not lust yourself. You decide to love yourself, not lust yourself. See, so when I'm loving myself, remember lust, love cost, but it equals fulfillment, right? Love, lust comforts, but it equals what? pain, right? So when I decide to love myself, I'm going to do, do what's best. I'm going to endure the cost of shutting down some of the cravings and the pleasures to do what's best for me because I love me now. But when I don't love me, I'm just going to lust. I'm just going to take in anything, even though it can what? Corrupt me. See, I'm going to walk, when I love myself, I'm going to walk in the spirit. When I lust myself, what? I'm going to end up what? Walk in the Spirit and you shall not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? Galatians 5.16. See, remember, lust steals your want to. It steals your want to, your focus, your liberty, your connection to others. It feeds fears and, avoid, and has you avoiding engaging people, right? So lust steals your want to. When, when, when you're consumed with lust, you're, 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 you're get up and go your want to. I remember uh, in the, in, when I was young in that culture of lust, like, I ain't feel like enough to do nothing. I'm dragging all the time. So I'm getting, look, I'm wasting time that I can be getting dreams and success done. You know, there's some people get more done at the beginning of the day while people asleep before people ever even get up. They done got all types of accomplishments done. Honestly, to serve you guys here at this church the way we do, it's impossible if we don't maximize our moments. Like, we're multitasking. We're, we're, we're reading and studying and preparing and, and dealing with contractors and acquisitions and juggling the pieces on the chessboard, like doing so many different things at a different time. But if, if, but if we were in lust, we ain't doing none of this stuff. Because your whole life is, I don't feel like it. Nah, I get that. All right, that's not important. Like, you feel like Everything's going to go well because you're just telling yourself that because you, things don't go well until you handle your business. Right? Like, greatness doesn't happen by osmosis. You know, osmosis, you know, like, I was telling my, my grandson, 
you know, this guy had this land. I told y'all the other day. And it was just, he said, it was all weeds before. Trees everywhere. Those trees grew by osmosis. Nobody came out and watered them, planted them, or nothing. <laughs> no, no. Dreams don't happen that way. Right? All right, so we'll end with Romans 7. Let's end with Romans 7. And since I have the Amplified version, I'm going to read the Amplified version. And we're going to read 5 through 23. Romans 7, 5 through 23. And I'm reading the Amplified version. It says, it says, when we were living in the flesh, mere physical lives, it says, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law, what the law makes sin, uh, were constantly operating in our natural powers, in our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, so that we bore fruit, the fruit of death. It says that when we were in the flesh, this is what we did. It says, but now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in the newness of life. It says, what then do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. For instance, I would not have known about covetousness, would have no conscious of, I'm sorry, I would not have known about covetousness, would have no consciousness of sin or sin's sense of guilt. If the law had not repeatedly said, you shall not covet or have an evil desire for one thing and another. It says, but sin finding opportunity in the commandment to itself, to express itself, got a hold on me and aroused me and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lusts and covetousness. For without the law, sin is dead. The, the sense of it is inactive and, and a lifeless thing. Once I was alive, but quite apart from unconsciousness of the law. But when the commandment came, sin lived again and I died. What sentenced, was sentenced by the law to death. And the very legal ordinance, which was designed and intended to bring life, actually proved to mean to me death. For sin, seizing an opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and trapped, cheated me, using and, and using it as a weapon, killed me. The law, therefore, is holy, and each commandment is holy and just and good. Did that which is good then prove fatal, bringing death to me? Certainly not. It was sin, working death in me by using this good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandment, sin might be shown up clearly to be sin, that the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am a creature of the flesh, carnal and unspiritual, having been sold under slavery, into slavery, I'm sorry, under the control of sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish. 
but I do the very thing that I loathe, which, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good, morally excellent, and that I take sides with it. However, it is no longer I who do the deed, but sin. But the sin principle, which is at home in me and has possession of me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and the urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it. It is not myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me and I'm subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my inmost self with my new nature. But I discern in my bodily members, that's my flesh, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, a different law, rule of action at war against the law of my mind, my reason, and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. I, I know that was a lot, but that's an amplified version of Paul saying, okay, he learned that, okay, just the whole uh, premise of there being a law pointed to the mishaps of sin. He says, but, okay, so then he started breaking it down. Okay, so is the law evil? He said, no, the law is good. He says, but when I have that sin nature in me, this same law now becomes my enemy because it's going to point out the reality of that, the sin that I'm committing. He says, if there was no law, then I'm not going to feel at unease when I do evil because there's nothing telling me it's evil. He says, so then I realized, okay, so the law is, is, is spiritual, good. He says, but I realize also in my flesh dwelleth something that's not good. That's always warring against doing that which is good. He says, so even, he says, so, so because I've yielded to the new nature, that new nature wants to do good. But in me is that old nature hovering around. So it's like we were saying, if you feed that old nature, the old nature is going to have the first voice, the flesh. If I feed that new nature, it's going to have the first voice. He says, so in the, in the King James, it says, who shall deliver me from this body of death, this flesh? He said, thanks be to God, the spirit. And so we have to feed the spirit. It, so, so put it this way. If we don't feed the spirit, it's just like we talk about all the time around here, living in gravity. If you do nothing, you're subject to gravity. You could say, well, I, I don't care nothing about gravity. I don't care nothing about uh, aerodynamics or flying. I don't care nothing about it. If you ain't doing nothing, you're subject to gravity without your permission. If you ain't doing nothing spiritually, you're subject to sin of the flesh without your permission. We have to do something to rise above the flesh. We have to feed. So when we're casual or we take on the things of the world because we think, you know, I guess we call it fun until we deal with the pain. 
See, that's the thing. On the front end, it looks like fun, but on the back end, it's pain. The spiritual things don't look like fun on the front end. On the back end, they're, they're fulfillment. And so you got to ask yourself if you want fulfillment or you want temporary pleasure that's going to lead to destroying your mind, your life, and your dreams. All right, so that, that, that's all today on deceptive addiction, addictions.